Hey, folks, thanks again for joining us on the Live Life Progressive Podcast. Mike Mahler, myself, Sincere Hogan, bringing on a brand new year right now, 2015. And, you know, this is that hot, this is that month, man, where everybody's trying to hit that reboot button and get things in order and setting goals. You know, I hate to use revolu- you know, resolutions because, you know, I always talk about the New Year's resolutionaries always trying to start their little one-month war, but they always end up losing anyway. So, <laughs> so. That, that's a battle of attrition that always is. <laughs> exactly. <in disaster. laughs> so, so I was like, you know, it's, it's not there's nothing wrong with setting new goals, you know, at the beginning of the year. But, you know, and this thing about it, treat them as goals and don't come up with all these promises like I'm going to start doing this, this and this. No, just take baby steps. It's like, you know what? I'm going to start doing better with this. And my thing is, so since it's, you know, the beginning of the year, man, I think one of the best things we could do is start off with some of the top strength coaches in the industry to come on here and really give some great advice because you're going to hear all types of crap this type of year that's going to mislead people and set them up for failure. And that's the reason why a lot of resolutions never work because there's so much misinformation out there. And everybody's pretty much a lot of people in the fitness industry putting out information just to confuse people so they can buy their products and then they'll be done with them after the month as well. So it's, it's great that we bring on some of the top guys to come on here and just give people the real stuff that's been working, not just last year and in the last five years, but for decades and that's the thing about it, man. You can't never underestimate the power of simple. And our guest today, man, he has taken simple and taken to a new level and has had great success, like I said, for the last few decades with his clients. So track record speaks for itself. Yeah, no doubt. And we have one of the best strength coaches in the world on. But before we get to him, just a few shout outs. One, I wanted to thank people that have been leaving some great reviews for us on iTunes. We've got Dead Man's Hands gave <laughs> us a really nice review. I like that name. We've got, let's see, Jet Boomer, another good one, left a great review. Iglanta left a great review and Plant Strength Life. So thanks a lot nice. to all of you. It really helps our rankings and get the show out there. So thanks for doing your part, not just listening to the show, but taking the next step and helping support the show so that more people can hear about it and we can build our audience and get more great information out there. And also, I wanted to thank people that have been using the coupon code LLA to get 10% off my great supplement line. Just a few people that came in, a few orders that came in recently, David Dobbs, Neville Howard, and Neville's been one of my customers for years. This guy's attended my workshops in Arizona, great guy. Cameron Euro, Christopher Frank, thanks a lot for using coupon code LLA to get 10% off any of my nutrition supplements, my new estrogen blockers out. Speaking of New Year's resolutions, some of you guys are looking in the mirror and you're going, man, my body looks exactly like my wife's. <laughs> and that's a problem. <laughs> it means you have some serious estrogen dominance. So go check out EC. And some people are going, why'd you call it EC? I go, well, it was either that or ED. <laughs> estrogen dominator. But ED doesn't really sound like something you want to buy. So EC is the good stuff. It works. It helps with your sex drive. It helps balance testosterone and estrogen. In women, it helps with progesterone and estrogen balance. Great product. Check it out. Benefits go way beyond just estrogen control. So check it out at MikeMahler.com. Use that coupon code LLA, just like these other guys did who are supporting the show. Again, they're giving us reviews. They're buying products. That's what allows other people to just listen to the show completely for free who aren't doing anything. They're not leaving us reviews. They're not retweeting the show. They're not buying anything. So you don't have to buy something, but do something proactive like these people are if you enjoy the show. And if you don't enjoy the show, why are you listening right now? Go do something else more productive. You know? And then finally, I wanted to give a shout out to Ben Nitas, who runs FullMetalIndustries.com, which is a fitness equipment company in the UK. 
they were nice enough to send me a custom designed barbell with neutral grips. So it's basically, it makes similar to the way you would press kettlebells or hammer strength grip, a really nice piece of equipment. These guys do an incredible job. So if you're in the UK and you want to get some equipment for your gym or your home gym, check out fullmetalindustries.com. They've got thick bars, neutral grip bars, trap bars, squat racks, you name it. And they make it all custom designed. So you can have it specified to exactly what the parameters are that you want for your gym. And they can use that coupon code at at my website. How about your website? Same thing, man. Use the coupon code LLA at newwarriortraining.com. You can get 10% off all my products as well, DVDs, books, eBooks. Also, pour over coffee stands, all that good stuff is over there, man. So again, just go to newwarriortraining.com. Quick shout outs to the folks that have been purchasing from my site as well, using that coupon code Don Holland, um, who got him a Cheria door pour over stand so he can have some great coffee in the morning. Also, want to give a shout out to Alan Chumbly, as well as Stephen Fabian and my brother, Isaac Wilkins as well, man. Um, we've actually gone through some blood, sweat and tears with a certification back in the day, man. And it's really good. So here's the thing. It's really cool that, you know, here's a guy that's a really good friend of mine. Still, instead of just hitting me up on the email, like, hey, man, you think you can send me that Cheerio door or whatever? Hook it up because I'm your boy. No, just, you know, I looked at my email. There it is. He just made a purchase. No big deal. No setup or anything like that. So that's, that's a real friend right there. That's how you support friends, folks. And not just always looking for the hookup. So big shouts out to Isaac for that, man. Appreciate that, brother. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, what's funny is I recognize just about every one of those names. In fact, <laughs> some of those guys have been to my courses. I was visualizing that. It was funny. I was like, I know every single one of those guys. <laughs> I know that Sounds guy. Familiar. <laughs> those are people that have been dedicated to supporting both of us for a long yeah, time. So that's definitely. much appreciated. I mean, those some of those guys go back many years. So that's really cool. Perfect. All right. So we have, let's get to our guest today. He's, again, one of the best strength coaches in the business. We've had him on the show before. Everybody loved the episode. And it's Ian King. He's the author of Get Buffed, a bunch of other books. He's written articles all over the web, many magazines, very well respected. Ian, how are you doing today? Uh, great. Thanks, Mike and Sierra. And thank you for welcoming me back on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah, last one was great. You you created quite a controversy <laughs> with many of your statements, in, in the be- and I say that in the best way possible. But today I thought we would get into some nuts and bolts of different training goals, in particular fat loss goals, and then we can talk about size and strength and then get into some other stuff. But how do, how do you design a program for an athlete who needs to shed some weight? They need to lean out and get fine-tuned for their athletic endeavors. Well, that's going to open a whole discussion, which I'm real happy to go into. There's two levels of discussion that I, that we could have. One would be one that you're probably – the audience is more likely to be receptive to. The other might be a little bit esoteric. So I might start with a simple one first. And when I say simpler, okay. it's still going to be a step back from where everybody's thinking. So if you're happy for me to go down that path? Absolutely. Yes, go for it. So what I've, what I've done, and I love being a student of the industry and watching trends and habits, and, and more importantly, when, when a person does something in training, what it does to their body, et cetera, and it's really interesting to note the trends that are, that are dominant out there. And, and the thing that can, what probably concerns me the most is the, the, the selling of the concept that training is your solution to body fat. Right, right. And I've, and I've seen a, a revamping of the programs that, that the universal equipment promoted in the 1980s and I, as a gym instructor in the early 1980s i used to give these to my general pop clients it was the last time i worked on the fitness populations back in the early 80s and i used to give these to them which are basically circuit training with alternated some sort of you know, cardiovascular type exercise in it or some sort of complex every second or third strength exercise yeah. so 
it's, it's just a regurgitation of what right. I was writing for my clients 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. What do, yeah. What do you think about circuit training? Because I, I remember – I forget which strength coach said it, but I remember reading someone say, look, when it comes to strength training, focus on – getting the athlete bigger and stronger. Don't don't use that as a fat loss parent. Don't use that as a fat loss design for a program. And then if you want, if for improving conditioning, do sprinting and things of that nature. Well, my, my attitude is never compromise training to get an indirect goal. And ask yourself, what's the, what's the most effective way we can achieve the goal and, and, and stop compromising your training for it? So I understand general population might not, might not get that, but there's some real um, – some really basics that we're going to talk about here that I think are going to save people a lot of grief. Okay. okay. So the first thing I'm going to make is this, and as I said, this is the one just outside the box. I've got another one that's further outside the box. Whether we get there or not, I'm not sure. But the one just outside the box, and, and I'm not the only one that, that will say this, but this is what I say. Weight loss or body fat loss, body composition shifts has got nothing to do with exercise. Right. I agree. Definitely. So, so what do you what do you do with people then? You you work with them strictly on the nutrition side of things. Do the, does the training parameters change at all when someone has physique composition goals? It, it definitely can. So I'm going to step back and say this: we've got we've got two ends of the of the seesaw here. We can manipulate their training. We can manipulate their nutrition. Now, unless you had an open slate as to how you wanted to train, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, then you can get all your body composition changes through your nutrition. At the end of the day, when I'm working with someone, my first question is, you know, how would you like to achieve this? And, and quite often people are using exercise to, to meet emotional needs. And, and there might be the insecurity of not being, you know, buffed or the insecurity of being a bit, bit fat, if I can use that politically incorrect term. So that, that opens up the whole, whole second uh, Pandora's box. I'm going to stay on the first one. So I personally would prefer to manipulate the nutrition to achieve the outcome and then use exercise only if A, it was, it was the person's preference, and B, if we were running out of options. Right. So let's talk nutrition then. What do you do there? This is, a, again, from my approach, is that I, I can't say do X and Y will occur. I, sure. can, I, can mm-hmm. have, I can have a pretty good idea, and I can say do this, and let's see what happens. So my attitude is if you, unless you're willing to learn about your body and understand your body's unique responses to nutrition and exercise – then you're always going to be looking for someone to be your guru. Right. Doesn't work as well. You know, you're your best guru. Yeah. So I'm looking for someone who's going to be willing to say, okay, let's try this protocol. Let's assess it in X period of time. And for me, you know, seven to 14 days is a reasonable time period to get a cause-effect relationship from your nutrition. Right. Now, in the long term, Ian, how do you – how do you get their mindset? Because, you know, we're in a society that's very microwavable now, meaning they want it right now. 30 days, they want to lose 30 pounds and all that. How do you deprogram them from that mainstream mindset when you tell, okay, because I'm pretty sure when you say 7 to 14 days, they're already looking for a miracle and probably think that's going to be enough. But, you know, that's just a starting point just to kind of give you an idea of where to go from there. How do you just deprogram them, get over that 30, day, 30 pounds in 30 days type mindset type thing? Yeah, and I know what you're saying because the the, the four month workout became the four day workout, which became the four minute workout. <laughs> exactly. So what what do we do is basically we hold the hand a little bit, cross our fingers, and when we have our first success, then we usually have an endorsement of the direction. So I think we can get a, a first indication of, of success that little step in the first few days, and that's what I'm looking for. Until until we get that and that trust going within a few days, then we're kind of on the edge because. 
you know, the, the person, the client, the athlete might be thinking, well, you know, person X says this and I should do this. So, you know, mm. as a coach, we're all looking to develop that trust and that, um, you know, that credibility. And it comes with that first first bit of success. So I, I teach them, you know, this, is a, this is a series of little steps and we're going to celebrate every one of them. Another aspect that's kind of missing with a lot of today's guru trainers out there is that psychological approach. So naturally, the first thing everyone thinks of is, you know, start with the exercise or to start with their diet. But a lot of times that's not the, that's not the real issue. It's really that that connection, that mental connection. So is there is there a way that you approach them with their psychology aspect of this yes. in order to get them prepared for to prepare them for a change in nutrition, a change in exercise and to bring it all together? Because the mental part is not there. None of this other stuff is even going to matter. So, you know, what's your approach exactly. to that? Exactly. Which which allows me to open the second Pandora's box, because if I take it one step back from that, I, I'm going to say body fat is a uh, psychosomatic or subconscious decision. And it's typically used to provide protection or suppress. Mm-hmm. So let's, the first step for me in getting someone understanding their responsibility and in, in, in changing their body composition is saying, listen, you're, you're as fat as you want to be right now. That, <laughs> right. That's what you want to be. This is what you want. Right. right. And that is, you know, fires up a little bit of a discussion. But at the end of the day, I said, listen, you're exactly where you want to be. And if you want to change, we're going to have to understand why you are where you are. And obviously – Without being, um, you know, wanting to stereotype on gender, this is a bigger discussion with my experience with with the female athlete. But the bottom line is, until they buy in that they're exactly where they've chosen to be, and every everything they've stuck in their mouth, more so than their training, has got them to where they are now. Uh, if we can get them to buy into that, then they'll then they'll take ownership of the next thing they stick in their mouth. Right. right. That that's a good way to frame it, actually, because. It takes certain disciplines to become <laughs> overweight, right? You have yeah. to repeat certain practices over and over again, and then you have a goal. So if you if you gain a hundred pounds, it doesn't happen by accident. It was yeah. premeditated steps that got you there. Yeah, like I Love said in, in past episodes, I'm saying that took focus. You it, you, fo- <laughs> right. you focused on being fat. Like I said, you had an everyday routine that you yeah, stuck exactly. to. It's like okay, I'm gonna sit here and eat some chips while I'm in the car in traffic. I'm gonna make sure <laughs> I pull over to the drive-through and get a breakfast burrito before I head into the office. And you know, you got the set routine every day that you stick to, no matter what, and no one can deter you from it. So. Yeah, man, you 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 really focused on being a fat, you know what? <laughs> so it takes work and discipline, man. Like you said, exactly. And, and one of the things that a lot of, uh, in particular, the males don't understand is that the, a lot of the body fat increases that you'll experience between the age of say eighteen and twenty-five are actually creeping body fat. And initially, it looks like you're just getting bigger and stronger. I mean, right. yeah. In, in other words, in, in reality, in pushing in pushing exercises, you are getting stronger. But we're all going to be subject to creeping body fat. So that, that little extra, you know, whether it be the calorie or, or, or the macronutrient or the micronutrient we consume that we didn't need is going to magnify over time to come up with something many years down the track. And, and it's reversed, as you said, by reversing one thing at a time. So for my – and I know it doesn't always work with instant gratification um, mentality, but, mm-hmm. you know, if we make one permanent change at a time and we enjoy it, that permanent change and that's the difference i don't want that oprah let's get lean today and and and, and fat tomorrow I, I want a permanent change so i would rather get one permanent change per unit of time than to get a whole lot of change that was reversed yeah exactly. i think one of the problems is and scientists have discussed this now is when you've created a new set point so if you put on 200 pounds of body fat you've created a new set point mm-hmm. there and it's basically permanent so even if you lose that weight your body's always going to try to take you back to that set point so how do how does someone not only lose the weight but keep it off 
and, and that's, that. a, that's that's a fantasy point. But, I, I I read that in the writers of Iron Man magazine back in when the Raiders right uh, mm-hmm. were. I read that concept in the eighties, and I, I really liked. It. They said hold it for six months, and it'll become more permanent. Yeah. Obviously, they were talking about it in the other direction. Right. So we all have to overcome the homeostasis in our body without a doubt, and that's the greatest challenge: overcoming the homeostasis because the body clings as the mind does to you know, an identity or where we were. So the greatest challenge is initially creating the inertia or a momentum to overcome the, the current inertia or the current direction you're going in. So yeah. that, that is without a doubt the starting point. But you know the phenomenal thing is when you get that thing rolling, it can keep rolling. Yeah. yeah. I mean even, even with strength training, you hit a new PR, you basically have to keep that PR for a certain period of time. Otherwise, you lose it quickly. That strength just goes fast. And then it takes a while to get back there. So if you've deadlifted 500 pounds for the first time and you don't keep that level of strength for a certain period of time, you're going to end up right back before you started on that program that got you there. Yeah, so I, I know what people are listening and thinking, okay, what do you mean by set point and all that? So basically what you're doing, folks, is creating a new normal for your body. And that's right. what's happening right there. So you need to hold on to this long enough for it to seem like it's normal, and then your body can function at that level, at that weight. And then you can set off to your next set of goals like, okay, I'm going to drop another couple of percent body fat or whatever else like that. So, again, you got to create a new normal and quit being so sporadic and being up and down and, and treating your body like you're on – Freaking like e harmony with for fat loss and <laughs> just going through all these speed dating type situations with your with weight program, you know. Even with business, it's the same. I yeah. mean, the first time the first time you hit six figures, it's like okay, great. Now can you repeat it? Exactly. If you can, if you can repeat it a few times, then it's then it's going to be then it's pretty much locked in, and you can keep repeating that. You keep repeating that income indefinitely, potentially. Yeah. But if you just do it once, <laughs> and you don't know what got you there, it's a fluke. And then your income drops and you're trying to get back there and then it drops again. So that's not what you want. You want to be able to basically create a new set point with your income and, and the thing maintain is, that for a while and then build from there. Exactly. And what you've also learned during that process, you've had for all for that to happen, you had to have some failures. And so now you've kind of built up that resistance now, you know, with, with that type of, you know, how to bounce back from those failures to get you to that point. So if it's a one shot deal, you didn't really fail to get there. You just got it. And of course, it's going to be hard to remember, like, how did I get here? It's just like in the lottery. You know, you, you've been scratching, you know, scratching off tickets and all this, and then you hit it. But then you got to sit there, and when that money's gone, then what? You know, because again, you didn't really work for that money. What you do? You went and got like a dollar ticket scratched off, and you got lucky. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that that that's homeostasis there in full effect. So, so you're you're trying to lose that money to get back to where you are. You're doing you're doing everything you can. You're not setting aside any for taxes. You're going gambling. You're telling all your friends and family you won the lottery, so now they're coming in for papers. I mean, you are you are taking all the actions that are going to free you from all of that money you just won because. In your mind, you don't think you're not used to having it. You don't know how to handle it. Maybe you don't think you deserve to have it. And you're subconsciously, you're just (laughs) relinquishing everything. I think the other factor is when someone's been overweight for a long time, let's say 10 years, that's a set point that's really drilled in now. So so even if they lose the weight, let's say in a year, they were overweight for 10 years before that. So they're still going to try to go back there. Do you think that they would have to keep that weight off for 10 years to balance it so now they have a new set point at a lower body weight? What do you think about all that? Over a period of time, if we uh, – and, and if you can imagine reading the stock market, like reading a stock market graph, if our new high yeah, was lower yeah. than our old high, we're still ahead. Right. Mm-hmm, exactly. so what you're talking about is their identity, and that's where I get pretty brutal with people. I say, listen, you can be fat if you want. That's your choice. But we can we can make make a difference if you want to. But it, it's their responsibility in their direction. So – 
I would rather make slow progressive changes than significant short-term changes because of my concern that we're going to flick back to where we were before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the word that that's the phrase everyone hates to hear slow, methodical changes, because as sincere said, people want rapid changes, but what they don't realize is even if they achieve some rapid change, it's going to be very hard to keep that. Well, and that, that's where the show's looking at the biggest loser shows. I'm yes, assuming. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 they don't really do it for me. I mean, that's, it's not the message that I want to send to people. Yeah. What do you think are the big pitfalls with a show like that? Well, the first one that worries me is the glorification of being obese. Right. Right. I mean, you know, I no disrespect, and everybody, everybody got to take their own path. But you know, if I'm 200 pounds overweight, I can wear a t-shirt down the road, and, and you know, it's a whole new social reward that I don't know is uh, really helping, unless you want to be a character in the Wally movie for kids. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what do you what do you think about what they put people through on that show? And the training and. And then the second point, I got to tell you what, it might make good for TV ratings, but it's the worst thing that they can do to their bodies. Absolutely worst things. Uh, listen, if you want to get, if you want to go through Hell Week, sign up with the Navy SEALs and get a reality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm deadly serious. And the blokes here and the women who are taking this show, they probably would even last uh, half a day in that environment. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it's, I think it's, um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. And, and when I see this whole boot camp concept where, you know, the average person's put through this mind, mind numbing range of things that ultimately are going to cause, you know, greater profit for the for their surgeon than they are for the fitness instructor. Yeah, I, no, no way in the world would I ever recommend anyone to go down that path. Just no, no. Listen, if you want to inflict self damage, get a broom and hit yourself. You know, if you <laughs> get, get a razor and cut yourself, I'm not recommending it. But you know, if you want to inflict self harm, find another way because you know, there's no way in the world that you should be going down there and doing that mind. You know that ridiculous high volume, high intensity. No, no one thought about it, but if we can make you vomit, we wear a better coat. <laughs> I think what entices people is they look at the end results and yeah. go, "Hey, the ends result, the ends justify the means." Look at those transformations. Well, I can tell you two things. First of all, when I speak to ex ex military, um, and they tell me, you know, everyone says we're disciplined. Well, the discipline was forced upon us, and we didn't choose discipline. Yeah, right. And, and I'm not talking about your special force soldier, but I'm talking about your your regular regular military person. Most of them right. don't, don't live with the discipline after they come out than they did before. Right. Mm-hmm. And and secondly, it's unsustainable what they're doing to to achieve their body fat. So typically, when an athlete is in a sport where they're lean because of their sport, they're training you know for the Olympics or at elite yeah. level, and then they mm-hmm. retire. I can tell you, they, they do not retain that body fat. No, because, you're right. Oh yeah, I mean, look yeah, at Michael Jordan. Look time. at Michael Jordan yeah. right now. You know, he's yeah. like he's got he's pie faced now. He's the Charles Barkley is probably oh, the worst God. example. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but you Charles, know what? Bar- Charles Barkley looked like he went. He's like, look, I'm gonna go out of my way to avoid all physical activity. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna touch anything remotely healthy. <laughs> I mean, it looked like he never even touched a basketball in his life, man. <laughs> you would he... know. I mean, if you didn't know anything about his background, you just met him somewhere when he was. I mean, he's not that overweight now, but he went through a period where he was ridiculously overweight if you had met him and that's the first time you'd ever met him and you never knew he was an athlete you would you would be shocked to hear that he used to be a professional like, basketball you're, you're player one of the greatest basketball players of all time really dude <laughs> so, so am i and i'm five eight okay <laughs> and the one black guy that cannot play basketball so yeah <laughs> I, I respect that in my attitude is that they've been training so hard for so long that, that yeah. they deserve the right do i give them about two years what i call in the paddock which is an australian farming saying I'll let you go in the paddock for two years, and I'm going to start pulling you back in. Mm-hmm. So the, the reality is you can go and do those boot camp kind of high-volume, high-intensity, whatever, training methods. It's non-sustainable, and it's, it's externally imposed discipline. So it's not going to work. Yeah, but what if, what if you used it, though, to achieve your weight loss goal, and then you go down a more moderate path to sustain it? 
Well, hey, you, you, if, if that works for you, fantastic. I just hope your joints agree. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're so beat up from that level of training that I don't think you realize the negative ramifications until long after. And that's where we are with, with CrossFit. And again, no disrespect to any different training methods, et cetera. Sure. But that's, that's, a, that's another example of, you know, let's beat up on the person and look at the short-term results. But, you know, what are the long-term implications? Well, look on the bright side, uh, Ian. They, the economy has been affected in a, in a positive manner because chiropractors now are flourishing. All <laughs> injuries and active release technique guys have more business than ever. You know? They don't want that to stop. They don't want that to go away. You know what we're talking about here. And the thing yeah. is, I think they, what happens with so many people that are really in love with CrossFit, they actually look at the high-level athletes that are the faces of CrossFit, and what they don't understand, someone like a Rich Froning or Camille Bazinet or whatever, they were athletes before CrossFit. I mean, right. and the thing was, it wasn't like it was 10 years ago when they were, you know, semi-pro athletes or college-level athletes. It wasn't a few years ago. I mean, like 10 years ago, it was like maybe a year or two ago before they joined CrossFit. Or actually, they were still doing it while they were participating in CrossFit. So Joe Blow sitting on the couch looks at the CrossFit games. He gets all excited, like, yeah, I'm going to go join CrossFit on Monday because, you know, hey, I'm getting the CrossFit games next year. Okay, first of all, good luck with that. That's like me watching the UFC and watching John Jones, you know, and I get all hyped up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and join. <laughs> and I'm going to join the MMA gym tomorrow, and I'm going to be the world champion a year from now. Okay, it's, it's, it's about the same thing. So yeah. the thing is, that yeah. these a lot of them are already gifted athletes, the ones that you see that are at the top of the game. That's why you see the same eight, nine, ten people competing in those games every year. You don't see too many of these these Cinderella stories that pop up. You know, it's like, here's a mom of six who just started CrossFit a year ago, and now right. she's qualifying in the top five. I, you know, I've yet to see something like that, man. And, and she's never done anything in her life except walk and do some some cancer walks or something like that. That's, that's only athleticism she's ever had. You're not going to hear that story. So I think, again, people looking at that, that end result like, yeah, I'm going to end up looking like that guy if I go to CrossFit. And what you kind of find out, you see a lot of people that go to CrossFit, they've got guts. <laughs> you know, they, they're, not, they're not all walking around. The girls are not all walking around with the, the porn star booties and the high socks. <laughs> so that's the thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Those, those are clever marketing points. Though. Oh, yeah. Just focus on the good-looking women. Focus on the guys that are really in shape. Yep. <laughs> and make that what everyone aspires for. But make sure to leave out the part about the high <laughs> level of injuries yeah, exactly. And other problems. It's no different than an infomercial at night. You know, you sit there, you see all these people yeah. ripped and everything. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go buy P90X because I want to look like that girl. That girl's a yeah. fitness model. She's not She's not doing yeah, right. P90X other than the never done it in her life. Exactly. First, time, first time she's ever done it is in that commercial. Exactly. And yeah. that was the last time she did it. <laughs> Phenomenal marketing. Phenomenal. I mean, and seeing any buff bloke running down the gym or running in the beach, whatever, with their shirt off, sweating and at the peak of their muscle pump. You know, it's, it's smart marketing, but for, from, you know, from where I'm looking from, from an athlete point of view, uh, it's probably the last activity I want to engage in. The thing is, Ian, though, and I'm sure you've noticed this, is that there were, there were a lot of strength coaches that were pretty critical of CrossFit before it blew up. And now that CrossFit has proliferated on a huge level, well, now they basically have the philosophy of, well, if you can't beat them, let's join them. And they, they've had a total 180 where if they're not in bed with CrossFit, where they're actually – lecturing to them and working with them on a personal level they're at least more diplomatic in their oh, writings and all that have you have you seen that quite a bit is that well, a fair statement without a doubt i've seen i've seen people switch sexes um on that one you know switch gender uh, in, in a big way 
Um, it's 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 just a sign of uh, values, principles, and and chasing the money. And there's no doubt about it that if, if if you're purely pursuing money, that's where the money trail is at the moment, without a doubt. In the same way that if you were dealing with a population of 35 to 60, you'd, you'd pursue triathlons because they've got high disposable income and more, probably more accurately, um, you know, the gay market in, in triathlons. But you know, you don't have to like I. I you don't have to jump on that one. You can actually service people in a, in a way that's best for the individual without jumping on the CrossFit wagon. Uh, wagon. Um, not not that I'm, you know, said it's a training method, it's a trend, it's a Swiss ball of the 90s, it's just a little bit bigger. Um, what will come along 10 years' time? But, yeah, you, it's a, I'm glad you made that point, uh, Mike. Was, um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't, but I was thinking, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. <laughs> people uh, sell their souls for that um, for that. Well, bag. we also see people that are people pleasers that just endorse anything because they can't say no. <laughs> they don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. It's like, well, hey, yeah. hey, it's like, hey, man, can you give me a testimonial for this? It's like, well, I don't use it, but I don't want to say no to you. So yeah, let me, let me just go ahead and make one up for you. <laughs> you know, we, I see that all the time. And, and it, I think it's important not to shoot the messenger. Um, you know, a lot of things are being done in CrossFit are inappropriate for the majority, but if someone's committed to pursuing that path and understands the risks, et cetera, and good luck to them. Um, you know, that's all the best. We're just trying to balance the the marketing myth. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I know some really good CrossFit coaches too, who are big fans of your work and Paula Quinn's, and they really want to use the scientific approach right. and a periodization approach to avoid injuries and, and create good programs for, they, they really want to help people get good goals and they're using all, and they're, they're seeking knowledge to better themselves and their clients. Yeah, those are what I, I, can, I consider those the black boxes. I always call them the black boxes because they're like the black sheep of CrossFit because a lot of times, you know, the, you're not going to hear them you're not going to hear about these boxes particularly that much, these coaches who actually go beyond CrossFit and actually want to seek out high-level strength coaches such as yourself and attend seminars like with Mike and myself and, and utilize the things they learn from us and, and implement that and mix it with those wads and to make it even better and actually go beyond that. Sometimes they use the wad as like the – it's like the, the enticing thing. It's kind of like that first hit of, of a drug like a drug, de- drug dealer does. He gives you the first one for free to get you hooked on it and to get you in. So that's kind of what they do with the wads. And then eventually they're like, okay, now, okay, you ever thought about powerlifting? You ever thought about, you know, going into doing kettlebell sport? Or you ever thought about going to this, that, and the other and just really putting together a solid strength training program? And then next thing you know, they're like, well, now they see the possibilities. Now they've gotten past those wads. They see like, okay, I'm committed to doing this now. Let's go to the next level. And I know a few coaches who really dialed that in. And there are other coaches who have no freaking clue what we're talking about. Yeah. They're like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. That's wrong. That's not what CrossFit is about. And those are the ones that are pretty much put, setting people up for the failure. And, yeah. it make, and it gives those, those great coaches a bad name because naturally, if something goes wrong in CrossFit, everybody thinks it's all CrossFit. You know, there are everybody. Everybody's wrong. Yeah, and it's not just CrossFit either, right? I mean, kettlebell. There's 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 a lot of good kettlebell instructors, and then I've seen a lot of crappy crappy ones who just jumped on the bandwagon. They they weren't there at the beginning, and then they waited for this whole thing to blow up, and then they're like, okay, kettlebells are hot right now. So let me just go. Let me let me go take a weekend certification, (laughs) and then I'll start teaching this to my clients, even though I'm not remotely qualified. First of all, you gave them a lot of credit, Mike. You said they actually attended a, a, a weekend certification. There are so many personal trainers who have never even seen don't even know where to go to and get a kettlebell certification and these are the ones you'll see their clients in a in a big box gym and they're curling the kettlebell (laughs) you know they're teaching them to curl them like dude you ever been to a certification at all in your life or you just saw them thought they were cool and now you have your client picking one up because they look cool because i saw it on tv hey i saw it on you know on on an mma fighter using it and touching it so i I thought it was cool hey it's good enough for a champ it's good enough for me right (laughs) and my client 
<laughs> like, even yeah, whenever, whenever, whenever we see those behind-the-scenes training <laughs> episodes for UFC fighters and they're using kettlebells, n- name one time where it was actually used properly. One time <laughs> Tomorrow. where you saw I, a proper kettlebell swing or a proper kettlebell snatch. I can't think close, of one time. The closest one would be Diego Sanchez, but he was training with Steve Maxwell. Right, Okay, exactly. so that's the thing. So that's the reason why it looked proper. <laughs> so, yeah, man. And then on, on another note, we, what's up with the vernacular in our industry? Boxes, wads, <laughs> snatch, snatch, jerk. You know? <laughs> the fitness industry is becoming one big porn industry. <laughs> That's a, it's like how, you have to wonder how many people from that industry have transferred oh over God. and brought, well, brought, the that verna- well, brought the, the vernacular with them. With exactly. them. <laughs> it's the same type of marketing as the porn industry, so why not? You know, yes, same sir. thing. <laughs> Isn't that where the whole socks, the socks and short shorts? Came from? <laughs> exactly. Isn't that where that outfit came exactly. from? Exactly. <laughs> when you think about. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, why does this look familiar? Oh, <laughs> oh, my, taking me back to my, my early college years when I was a simple guy. Okay. <laughs> but so I'm, I'm curious, Ian, have a lot of CrossFit people sought you out to learn your system and, and apply your principles? Well, at the end of the day, what you said is pretty accurate because when they, when they come into the industry through the eyes of CrossFit, which many of them have done, if they reach a point in time when they, their, their solutions aren't being met, then they start to look outside. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm I think there's a, there a lot of that happening, and that's where that's where my content would come in because you can apply my my concept to anything. It just they just need to shift maybe a little bit more towards concept of individualization and a little bit of mm-hmm. thought in the training process, which you've already alluded to. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm I'm not one that's rushed out and jumped on the CrossFit bay ring, and I didn't jump on the Swiss ball bay ring. I didn't jump on chains and 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 box box squats. I mean, you know, we've seen and the kettlebells. You know, we've seen so much. Haven't jumped on any of them. Um, you know, and I won't. Uh, you know, they're well, let, let's talk about that for a minute because that's also really hot right now, right? Box squats, chains, <laughs> those variable resistance methods. What do you th- what's what do you think are the downsides? Well, I, I'm going to let's, let's start with box squats. The highlight of of my career in relation to that is being on on in a seminar on stage with Ed Cohen, and this yeah. was uh, early 2000s when this trend had, it, it had got enough traction. It had a fair bit of traction. And uh, someone in the audience said to Ed, "Well, Ed, you know, do you um, use box squats?" And he Kept a straight face and paused from over, and he said, "No." <laughs> and then, then either the same person I said, "Well, Ed, do you use chains?" And he kept a straight face and paused from over and said, "No." And it was just beautiful to watch because we're talking about one of the strongest men in the history of the world. Um, and, and and the message is, yeah, hey, if you want to use them, knock yourself out. But they're not a, a necessity. They're not a you know what's the correlation between the best you can be, etc. You know the, the the interesting thing about the strength training industries have got so much time to think they create 101 ways to do something that could probably be done in two. Right, right. You know, there, there is just an over-application of, um, you know, someone's got too much spare time in their hands. <laughs> right. And that, that's fine if you just sit in the gym for six hours a day. But if you're an athlete or, or you're, a, you're a get buff kind of person with a life, you know, you, know, you don't need that level of uh, diversity. And I certainly don't see any need as far as training athletes uh, of, of, of a variety of sports at the elite level. It's never been part of our programs. Um, no, I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying we don't use limited range movements, but I don't get into the toys, I don't get into the chains, etc. But uh, you know, it's 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 another toy, and, and I, it's just another trend, and it, it will fade. I'm going to say the Swiss ball, the Swiss ball is still in the gym, but it's there's not as many, and it's not as prominently positioned, and it's not used too often. There's yeah. a message yeah. in that. Yeah, you don't see anyone doing squats on Swiss balls, Swiss balls anymore. I'm yeah, they're using the warm up. Room. They're using <laughs> like, the warm up room and the stretch room, or something like, and that stuff now. like that. Yeah. So you don't think chains are useful at all, or you just think it's not necessary? 
Well, the, the, this is a real subtle point that I want to that I, I really enjoy taking the moment to share with you. There's a difference between is it effective and is it optimal? Right, mm-hmm. right. Because you can you can show me 200 things that have an effect. Sure. And I can hit myself on the head on the hammer before I go for a max squat, and I can tell you it's effective. <laughs> yeah. you know, I might go a bit far, but we can head about the bar and all that sort of stuff, and you can tell me how it's effective. So the discussion for me goes beyond is it effective. The discussion goes beyond to me, I've got X amount of time to train in. These are my goals. What's the most effective way or the optimal way for me to use my time? So we've got too much, too much people or too many people chasing these um, trends when, when they haven't set back and said, listen, I only train for X number of times a day, X number of times a week, and my training career is this long. What do I really need to get the job done? Now, that discussion is never held. We only ever talk about, well, Ian, it's effective. I can prove it to you. Well, I don't give a rat's ass whether you can prove to me effective. You still haven't addressed the question. With the time you've got, what are the best ways for you to achieve your goal? Right. Right. Now, I mean, Ed Cohen's a good example because he always, as you said, he always stuck to the basics. Beautiful. If you look at his programs, it was always very similar, small modifications, but he never he never did five different variations of the deadlift, for example. He just well, did like deadlifts. Right. Never did five different variations of squats. It was squats. It was squats, deadlifts, bench, over when and Reg over and Park, over again. When Reg Park benched 500 pounds as the second man in the world and recorded history to bench 500 pounds, I can tell you, he didn't have a lot of diversity. He wasn't using chains. So, you know, you could argue, well, if he was using chains, blah, 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 but the bottom Bottom line for me is keep it simple. If you want it, you want to play the toys. Like if that's what turns you on, if that's what floats your boat, if that's what you need to get you in the gym, fantastic. But don't have that <laughs> this is a necessity. I mean, I agree with you on a personal level, especially the way I train myself. I, I, I have the discipline to just stick to those basics. I don't get bored. Where a lot of people say, I'm getting bored. I go, you're only, you're only getting <laughs> bored if you're not making progress. Right. Yes. If you're making progress, that's never boring. It's never boring to be stronger you know, week after week or <laughs> right. month after month. That's, that's never, that never gets old. <laughs> right. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that probably won't make too many friends, which is something I'm good at. It, it, when I go to train <laughs> and I see the toys in the gym, it tells me whether someone's what I call a trend follower. Or, or an original thinker. Like, are you uh, thinking for yourself or you're just following the trends? Because I, I understand a lot of gym owners feel the need to, to, to get that crap in their gym, etc. Et but as, as a person who's responsible for training athletes, if you if you are, you know, if you've got all the, the latest toys and, you know, I just I wonder, like, at the end of the day, resistance is resistance. But anyway, mm-hmm. we've, I've, I've, left, I've left the reservation. I can come back to diet. My apologies. Yeah. No, I think I think sometimes people forget the basic rules. So, for example, if you're just doing a regular barbell squat with 500 pounds, and then someone else is going, well, I'm going to do 225 with some chains, and it's harder because of this and that. <laughs> it's not. It's it's just another distraction. It's like like Mark Phillippe used to bring that up too when people would come into the gym and talk about, oh, I can Turkish get up this much and so <laughs> forth. And then he would always ask them, how much can you deadlift? And they would always be style. I don't do that. He's like, well, look, pick an exercise, which actually is a good full measurement of your strength. And tell me what you can do on that. You know, not some distraction that is it's a, Turkish get ups, a good exercise, but it's, it's not it was not it's not what I would consider a primary exercise of importance. It's, it's not necessarily a real life type exercise. Like, what are you going to do in your life where you're going to have something you're going to lift something off the floor with one arm and, and pit pat your way back up and stand up with it and then decide, like, ah, I changed my mind. I'm going to sit back down with it. Well, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't get any more functional than what can you 
pick up off the floor. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. That's again, about as functional as it gets. What can you pick lean over well, with Mike, good form I'm picking and myself pick up, up off the floor, floor, Mike, with the kettlebell above my head. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, like I said, I, I think the Turkish get up is a good exercise, but I think if you have a strong core and you have good shoulder stability, you'll be good at the Turkish get up without doing it. And then what good is having a strong core with the Turkish get up, but then your squat but, still suck. Yep. Yeah, you but know, you're not gonna you're not gonna be good at deadlifts without doing it, is where I'm going. <laughs> right. So I mean you, you can do all the Turkish get-ups in the world, and then you could see, okay, how does this transfer over to the deadlift? And it's not gonna have any transfer <laughs> <Yeah>. over. <laughs> None. <laughs> I mean, you like to keep things basic, and then you have really good information on unilateral training and all that. Are there are there any exercises that are considered esoteric or trendy right now that you think are useful, or, or have you always stuck to your guns and just kept with the same parameters that you know work? Yeah, great question because you know when you look back to the 1990s, and I know you're around then, uh, especially from the from the strength conditioning pers- industry perspective, there was a big emphasis on loading and, and the big lifts, which you know, I'm a big fan of. There's no question about it. But sure. what was missing? What was missing was it was the concept that well, listen, if I'm a golfer or if I'm a, a, a synchronized swimmer, do I really need to uh, deadlift and power clean? So, what, in addition to that, there was some injury issues and some uh, muscle balances. So I, I introduced or, or popularized some um, individual exercises. Uh, I'll, I'll take one for example: the, the single leg stiff legged deadlift. Where, and, and, and I got to tell you, these are these are developed over many decades as a result of my own you know, personal challenges with injuries, as well as mm-hmm. sort of athletes I've worked with. You know, working with skiers who've got more scars on their knees, and Picasso made strokes on a on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. I had to come up with a, a solution to this stuff. So I developed a, a lot of things that would allow them to strengthen up without uh, getting the loading on the joint and, with that, and and also allow them to strengthen up in, in a way that would balance their, their body in the way that their sport needed. Uh, and one of, one of the things I developed was a single leg stiff leg deadlift where you basically stand standing on uh, on your two feet, then lift one leg slightly off the ground, bending your support leg but keeping the, the non-support foot parallel with the other foot but not touching, and then flex forward and touch your toes or touch right. the ground. Now, you know, within three years, that was bastardized to an exercise that looked like um, something out of a Californian oil field. <laughs> <laughs> took, a and, sa- took a second to get the yeah, visual. <laughs> yeah, right. and I tell you what, I can't walk, walk to him anywhere in the world without seeing that shit. Um, it, it, it is just a balancing act. And then yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, got right. a, I saw a cracker in the commercial gym just a few days ago. I saw someone doing holding on onto, onto one of those, um, you know, those PTRX YZ five nine nine one machines, where you know you're holding the the, the um, <laughs> rope off the off the roof and, and doing that at the same time. You know, talk about dumbing it down. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're absolutely. I can't right get the visual out of my hair. Right I know, now, me too. I'm going to be thinking about that every time I see someone doing that now. Well, but that's I, I, no, but I remember seeing the way you dead, you demonstrate the one legged deadlift. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then I and then I saw the way most people taught it many years later, which is the way you, the the oil field rep, <laughs> reference, which is the way I see most people do it, exactly. which is basically just a good morning. It's not even really exactly. you know. It's a it's a one legged good morning it's I guess like, it's, 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 it's a flamingo it's flamingo deadlifts is pretty good looks <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly and and th- this is this is where exercise is going which is not a, a good place because if someone says okay you know let's do a push up now we can't do a push up anymore we've got to crawl along the ground and then someone says listen I learned that there's X number of planes of movement so we've got to twist and rotate so listen I got to tell you you don't need to do that shit. You yeah. don't need to yeah. do. You don't need to have the kitchen sink. Make a cup of coffee. You know, stick your hand up your ass at the same time. You don't need to do it all at once. 
Oh man, <laughs> that's 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 a good line. Yeah, that should be added. <laughs> you know, I'm adding that to my my ad copy, exactly. man. My coffee, my pour over coffee. <laughs> How do you make the best cup of coffee? Well, just make a cup of coffee. Don't sit there with your hand up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not gonna make it stronger. I mean, come on. <laughs> No, Mikey, uh, wait, actually. Uh, no, but I, I'm so glad you bring that stuff up because it's so true. Now, now it's like that was like, why isn't a regular push up not good enough anymore? Why, why, right? do, I, why do I have to do like a three sixty flip in the air and come that, back? Like, wait, yeah, am exactly. I trying out for Cirque du Soleil or am I actually just trying to get better? Now it's a push up, or then you got to roll over, you know, do another push up. So, <laughs> so that's so true, and that's another thing. It's like, well, what do you do for lateral range of motion? And then, and then that's where you see people doing these kettlebell swings where they do the sidestep. You know, now now they're combining kettlebell swings with with a country line dancing. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. So you, so I mean, I guess it's safe to say you don't think all these three dimensional planes of motion, as they would call it, are worth are worth messing around with. You're well, not you're not, you're not going to do a deadlift where then you take a step forward and then do a deadlift rep, take a step back. <laughs> I think it's absolute bullshit. There's no way to describe it. It's absolute bullshit, and it's designed by people who actually don't train or or, or don't train people. Right. Right. It's always it's. I mean, it's never someone who has impressive abilities either, because they're again, it's it's a lot. It's it's much harder to get really good impressive abilities with the basic lifts. It's much easier to come up with nonsense with lifts no one does, and then make it look impressive because so few people do it that you've developed a skill set with something that most people don't waste time with. Yeah, like squatting on a Swiss ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, or you're someone who's just getting started in the industry, and you feel like, you know what? I don't. I, I got to get some clients, and you, you deal with those people. The majority, you, you're pretty much opening the doors to people who pretty much are saying, "I get bored with exercise," and you know, because in my younger days, you know, I was saying like, "Okay, let's do a two step swing," and blah blah, because the regular swing is boring. But then I was like, you know what? F that. You're gonna learn how to do a freaking one handed swing, and that's it. Don't talk about two handed swings. Don't do the whole 360 and all that. Get over it. And then to the point, you got to tell yourself like, "Nah, man, this is what you're gonna do." This is all you need. Well, what about this? Screw that. It's it's okay. What what are you trying out for? What are you trying to do? You know, right. at that point. So it comes with maturity because I think a lot of times when you first get in this industry when you're young, you fall for all this BS. Especially when you just when your your mentors are the wrong people. <laughs> you know, you start no, looking at I them, and then you start like, you know what? Route, like, sure. I look back at some like my videos from like ten years ago. I was like, that's some dumb shit, since <laughs> <laughs> You know, to yeah. the point where I'm like, yeah. you know what? Hey, I should take this off of YouTube. But then again, I'm going to leave it on there just to remind myself, don't ever do this dumb shit again, man. <laughs> and then hopefully someone else out there looking like, you know what? Yeah, uh, that's some dumb shit. Good. Don't you don't do the same dumb shit I did in my younger days. And that's why I'm leaving it up there as an example. <laughs> you should put up you should put up a an edited version where you're doing voiceover exactly. and you're talking about like, at, you know, yeah, like, like, like you me. do on videos, like the special edition videos where they have the episode <laughs> and then the director's talking about exactly. the I'm commenting on myself like I said, like, look at look at my dumb ass. Look, check this out. That's the dumbest thing I ever seen. What the hell was I thinking? I'm surprised I didn't hit myself in the head. I've been guilty hit- of that myself. <laughs> you know, I, I know there's pictures of me doing double kettlebell presses on an indoor board. You know, that's says it all. You know, fortunately, I never. Ta- fortunately, I played around with. I played around with that personally, but I never taught it. Thankfully. Exactly, it's just something to tell you. Like, you know what? Okay, I, I accomplished this. I didn't kill myself. Good for me. <laughs> but I'm not going to teach someone else how to do this because they may actually kill themselves. No, but there were there were people that were teaching kettlebell classes where everyone's on a fucking indo board. <laughs> Kid you not. <laughs> so you got 10 people in a room and they're all on indo boards with the kettle board. okay if you're walking by that classroom in the gym you're like what the hell's going on in there man can you just imagine i man 
this, no, but I mean, someone broke it down nicely for him. It's like, okay, that's great. Now, how has that improved your pressing on the ground? Exactly. And the answer is not at all. If anything, it threw it off because the cues are different. So it's actually it's actually had a negative effect on performance. Exactly. Like, Forget like, about yeah. actually even improving. Now it's been counterproductive. I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to train. Do- I mean, this is what you're going to do when you're training during an earthquake. Is that what we're doing here? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what are we preparing for right now, man? This is is this the California method? Is this what you're going to call this? Because uh, we don't have earthquakes in Texas. I don't understand why I'm doing this. In case you're stuck on an escalator after <laughs> get a workout. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so how about, Ian, have you ever been guilty of any of this? Have you ever, early in your career, were you distracted by stuff that, looking back, you're going, man, that was nonsense? You know, that's a, you made me wonder about that with, with some of the great stories you're telling there. Um, <laughs> I think that maybe the advantage I had was when I started in 1980, there was such little information out there that I didn't get the opportunity to. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, you missed out on some fun stuff here. <laughs> so it wasn't the exercises that was questionable. It was probably the workout gear you were probably wearing in the 80s. That was probably questionable. It was the 80s, that right, was Ian? That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was the fashion, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I've been wearing I've been wearing my my my, my knee sleeves over my tracksuit pants since the 1980s, and people used to laugh at me then. Um, there was nobody wearing knee sleeves in in lifting. You know, they put on their their knee wraps and take them off for their sets. But I I, I, I warmed up and stayed in until I went to wrap uh, knee sleeves. And guess what? <laughs> pretty popular thing these days. So. <laughs> some of those some of those knee socks are funny though. I mean, I, I see guys now with the knee socks where it looks like pantyhose. <laughs> 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 I'm like, come on, man. Just put some sweatpants on, right? It's like, I get it. You don't want to scrape your shins on deadlifts. That's why I wear sweatpants, too. But I'm not going to wear shorts and then have these socks on. <laughs> you know, that like, go off. Like, dude, you look, you look like a dominatrix in drag right now, man. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I don't need to look like Robin, you know? <laughs> oh. Next, next, people are going to have a cape on. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, well, if I feel like a superhero, I can lift more. Like, instead of my weight belt, I use my utility belt. Come on, man. <laughs> we'll be starting a new trend. Yeah, I know. We, we should be careful what we're saying right now before exactly. somebody goes out and do it. <laughs> oh, man. That's too funny. Now, that's another, another parameter of training that I think. What do you think about grip training, Ian? Have you ever... Has that ever been a strong component of a training program for you, for our clients? Yeah, grip, grip training, I think, is, is a fairly legitimate option, but it comes back again to the question is looking at the, your goals and looking at the time that you've got allocated to training, sure. it, it just, does it need to be part of it? Yeah. Uh, there, there aren't as many sports that are grip-oriented as you'd imagine. Um, so you know, definitely definitely plays a role. In fact, I've seen athletes coming out of gripping sports that could hold a deadlift to a higher percentage of their max than, than others. Right. So it, there's definitely a transfer, and you can manipulate the, the, the role of the grip in – in your training, I think it's very legitimate, but just again, be careful. You know, don't um, don't pursue something that's really not that relevant. Right now, you're now you've become a grip specialist where you're bending nails every day and you're doing the. the yeah, if you want to blow up a little bottle, yeah. spare time. Good luck there. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, what about core training? That's another thing that's been bastardized quite a bit now. Where you hear that word, I hate, I hate even using the word core. Yeah, right? When I design programs for people, I say torso work or you know midsection work. <laughs> well, what am I doing for, what work, can I do for my core, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I mean, I was doing partial deadlifts the other day after squats, and that's a great core exercise, you know, because that's where I felt it more than any other core exercise. Yeah. So I think a lot of people get distracted where if you're doing barbell squats and you're doing overhead presses and you're doing deadlifts, you're getting core work. Well, Mike, I'm really glad that you, you you clarified that because I don't know too many people have. And 
and I come, I come from the perspective of the, of the before the word core. I mean, the, the word core just didn't didn't exist at one point in time. Now, when I had my car cleaner telling me about the benefits of doing core exercises, I knew we were in trouble. <laughs> oh, man. So the, the word core, I mean, it's a shitty, shitty word. Uh, you know, and I just feel like sticking my fingers down the throat every time I hear it. And I don't know people who've made money out of it. They've written books about it and all that sort of shit. But as you said, it's really uh, – it's misleading. It's, you know, it's, um, it's very simplistic and it certainly doesn't encompass the, the, the one-third of the body yeah. that should, right. you know. Uh, do you think exercises such as ab wheel rollouts, dragon flags, hanging leg raises, do these have a place in a training program or do you feel that you're getting enough core work from hitting the big lifts? Well, you use that, that word again, Mike, but I'm going to – That's for our audience's sake. No. Okay. I can just see Ian's eyes rolling the top and he's like, God, stop saying that word. Yeah. Like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to get to the core of the problem here. <laughs> so – when it comes to exercises, uh, as you said, for the middle one third of the body, they, they are they are definitely, in my opinion, required or uh, relevant in in a in an isolated to compound continuum that need to be considered in addition to the 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 big lifts. So if someone said to me, "Ian, I'm going to get it all from just squatting, deadlifting, benching, or whatever they're doing," uh, I'm going to say, "Actually, it's not going to be good for you." I, I know because I've been in that path. You want to talk about training mistakes? I've been down there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know I've, I've followed initially the, the the original attitude where you know do the abdominals at the at the end sort of stuff. It, it's really not smart. So yes, to answer your question, I believe that midsection work is required. Um, the, the balance of which and the type of which is subject to more discussion. The timing of which we could have a pretty simplistic um, generic discussion about. But in, in answer to the question, yes, if you're not doing some targeted work. Um, for you know the, the the front, the side, the back, etc. Then you know we, we, you might be missing something. Well, what are some of the exercises you like? So I I, I move from uh, isolated to compound, which is no longer politically trendy. You know the the, the trendsetters have, have gone off and sold this bullshit that you know and, and unless it's multi-plane, all this sort of shit that doesn't work. <laughs> For me, number one, learn how to contract your muscles in isolation, be it an isometric or, or a limited range movement or, or a or a single joint, you know, sort of single muscle movement. So I start in a real simple way. But what I'm going to say is this. My approach to abdominals has been um, – is really – and, and the, the midsection is a really big part of the fact that the athletes that I work with don't get the injuries that many do. And we've, we've had examples of athletes come to us with, with injuries. They've had uh, scans done, and then after a few months of doing our pro- program, they've had the scans done again. And, and, and the note that's been made is look at the abdominal change. So we're real confident of the approach that we're taking with the midsection work. And uh, one of the, the, the first mistakes is they don't, don't kick it out of your program altogether. It's, it's, B, keep it in there. Um, so number one, keep it in the program. Number two, you've got to spend a percentage of your year doing it first in the workout. That's critical. And if you, if you never do your, say, abdominal work um, at the start of a workout at any stage of the year, then you, you're probably going to run into a problem. So it's number one, do some. Number two, a percentage of the year, do some. My actual attitude with athletes, with athletes in diverse sports, is we'll spend the majority of the year doing it up front. And I know that's just very different. And I've written about this in extension of my Get Buff range, how the old fish tale about – you know, if you do abdominals first, it weakens your stabilizers, blah, 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 which is, you know, it's like saying, you know, stop tugging, stop, um, you know, choking the chicken, you're going to go blind. 
So yeah, I, 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 take, take note of that, sincere. <laughs> yeah, duly noted. <laughs> so, you know, we, no, that one, there's just, just the lifestyle about the stabilizers, but having said that, there is a potential component of neural fatigue, uh, so that if you're in max lifts, I can just explain, I can understand, move you to the back and minimize it, etc. So there, there are two rules for you. Just to start off, the third rule I'd suggest is. Uh, looking at the, the the lines of movement as I turned back in the, the 90s, and actually it was in the 80s, but I published in the 90s, um, an understanding that we, we want to have a consideration for some you know, trunk flexion, some hip flexion, some lateral flexion, some rotation, just the basic lines of movement. So there's three things for you to, to um, still for us to share with the listeners. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had other strength <clears throat> coaches tell me similar things. Mark Phillippe runs PSA out here. He has a lot of athletes do – torso work, midsection work, whatever you want to call it, at the beginning of the workout. And then he usually incorporates some t- towards the end. So I think I think that's definitely something for people to play around with. It's good points to consider. Now, <clears throat> what about let's, – let's, let's have a little discussion about conditioning because that brings us back to what we were talking about early on, circuit training and so forth. Improving conditioning, improving, improving cardiovascular ability. How do you – design that and incorporate that into an overall strength training program well well i work with almost exclusively with athletes so i'm going to answer that from that perspective in the first instance okay i, I my uh my philosophy on the specificity of the physical quality speed strength endurance and flexibility is one and that's expressed in, in my foundations of physical preparation book where i talk about the specificity continuum and for me conditioning is the, is the one physical quality that is the far end of specificity requirements so i don't believe Generally speaking, in conditioning with with athletes, I let them play the sport for their conditioning. Okay. Now, I, I know that sounds a little bit out there, but that's exactly what I do. Uh, and obviously, general pop that might be a bit different, but I'll just pause in case that that raised any questions. So, I mean, if you were working with, let's say, a UFC fighter, you would come in, address their strength training needs. The conditioning you feel is being taken care of by their sparring, their mat work. Working right, on if, their actual if, skill sets. If you if you've had a conversation with anyone with a Brazilian or or any real martial art, but anyway, especially the the jiu-jitsu background, how many times a day do those blacks train? Yeah, usually three times a day, sometimes more. And, and then they and that's their mat work. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, you know, the last thing they need to do is is, is more training. The, the greatest challenge is working with with particular sports, including the martial arts, you know, the fighting sports, boxing, uh, grappling, etc. Is actually getting to train less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, for, for someone to come and say, "Well, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. So I've got to provide you with conditioning." You know, from my perspective, they might have missed the, the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, most most fighters fade because they're fatigued. Most fighters fade because they their their training volume is so high that they train at such low quality. Right. That they can't sustain the quality. Of the bout. Yeah, they're going into a fight in an overtrained state. Overtrained, right. and, and not conditioned to train at the intensity because the, you know, you know, the intensity of all sports and the and the skill, uh, the the timing, the coordination, the the force application is almost uh, you you don't replicate that at low intensities. So if you're engaging in low intensity, high volume training, you're not going to get a specific adaptation to the energy system needs. Yeah. Of the activity. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, that's a, a very good yeah. point, right? I, I think, there. yeah, I think one of the seen, biggest. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, go, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think one of the biggest issues is when you have these quote unquote strength and conditioning coaches for martial arts. You know, the biggest issues is they're trying to come in and try to outshine all the other particular disciplines of conditioning yes. that these athletes are going through, and they're trying to be the star and trying to be the one to be the 
has the claim to fame. Oh, I got so and so in you know this shape because he won that fight because of his strength and conditioning program he did with me. And I think what these guys really should see themselves as not a strength and conditioning coach with us, you know, with a target on a martial artist. They should just see themselves more as hole fillers. So they're there to actually fill in those gaps that these guys are missing. So they look a jujitsu guy doesn't need me to to make him better at jujitsu. You know, my thing is. If this guy's got really tight shoulders and he's got really tight hips, you know, we need to look at some things in the dress. I'm not trying to make him lift a, a bunch of heavy weights. Let's take a look and see why do you have stability problems with your shoulders? It may be overuse. So you may not even necessarily need me to create a, a program for you. You may actually need me because I'm outside that circle of people that you train with on the mat. I'm an outside, I'm, I'm an outside looking in. I can actually tell you, like, dude, you need to focus a little bit more on your joint mobility on your off time when you're not training and in your days off and not just, you know, just gas out or something like that and just veg out when you're at home because you're not training that day because you trained hard three or four times a day, every day, six days a week. And you got one day off, you know, and that one day is like maybe you just need to take a walk for about an hour. And then while you're doing it, maybe you need to go to the sauna, you know, on that day that you're not doing any type of training and whatever. And that's or do that, some that other kind of, yeah, do exactly. some other kind of hole feel like. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. And that's another thing. Instead of being on the mat with your bros all day long, you need to fill some other holes, you know, to kind of, you know, ramp up some testosterone here. Because I'm pretty sure, you know, sitting in a guard with your buddy all day can kind of mess with your testosterone. Since you're as a great program <laughs> on hole filling, you know, check it out. So I'm a glorified love, hole filler, love, man. Yeah, you better, you better. Go trade that mark that phrase today, man. That's going to be used really hole filling. I'm going to start calling like, my business that. Do you need a trainer in 2015 or do you need a hole filler? Because I'm just going to walk in. It's like, look, man, let me just be real clear, guys. I'm not a strength and conditioning coach. I'm a hole filler. And then just be solid right there. Right? Well, I, I, think, I have to change, but I have to change my audience when I say that, though. <laughs> No, but Ian, I think that I mean these are these are all really interesting points because I hear a lot of strength and conditioning coaches say that oh I, what I well, I'm going to put this athlete on I'm going to put this fighter on this incredible conditioning program and then when they fight they're just going to be a machine they're going to go round around without getting fatigued and that that's rarely the reason why <laughs> that athlete's conditioning is so good it's it's not from that program so they're like well I sincere said they're just taking credit for someone like Cam Velasquez for example okay that guy's guy's conditioning is incredible. From all of the years of wrestling, wrestling from yeah. all of the all of the skill sets he works on, so for and I've heard people say, "Oh man, if you know if I got him on this, his conditioning would be even better." I go, "Well, that's not really something he needs to work on, <laughs> you know." Well, he's yeah. a world champion, and okay, he yeah, grinds he guys up twenty five minutes straight. Five, he doesn't need round. He's not tired, man. You look at Cain <laughs> Velasquez after a five round battle. I mean, look at Junior Dos Santos, who's a stud, by the way, total badass, and he was beaten up. To a pulp, he could barely talk I mean, when he's interviewed. Cain Velasquez, did, yeah, Cain Velasquez is not even really breathing that hard after right. that five round fight. So I mean, need you in your strength conditioning program. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not the first thing I would think of. I don't know what you would do to improve his game. I'm not an expert, but that is not what, what I would, would be on the top of my list to consider. Exactly. And, and the, the concern is when they do go in, they go in with a stereotyped attitude. There was a real sad exchange recently between a, uh, a USC fighter and the person who allegedly trained him in the, in the bout, which didn't end well. Uh, which just just typifies what you're talking about, you know, the, the, the credit seeking that goes on, and then when the success doesn't happen, the blame, and that was just a blame game that went on. It was pretty yeah, exactly. hard, right? Exactly. Pretty hard, you know. It was ugly, and it was it was it was pretty promoted. I'm not sure whether it was marketed for that, but you know, if you're if you if you're involved with them, you know, you, the last thing you'd be boasting about is your conditioning work because you shouldn't have done any. But that's just my opinion. 
No, that's interesting though. That's that. Those are interesting points to bring up because that's trendy right now. A lot of people are thinking, okay, let me go take these online MMA courses to be a certified <laughs> MMA coach. God, then I'm going to have people do medicine ball throws for a minute, and then we're going to hit a tire with a sledgehammer for a minute, and then we're going to run up and down a hill, and then you're yeah. you know, so great. Just the title itself. I'm a certified MMA con- strength and conditioning coach. Well, and this this whole let's go back in the history of this. The whole concept of conditioning in your country came because the National Strength Coaches Association in 1981 realized that they'd only had one physical quality in their title and said, we've got National Strength Coaches Association. Geez, we'd better pick up a few more. So through the <laughs> now, I tell you, if they hadn't done that, you probably even hadn't heard the word conditioning. Now, let, I mean, let, let's be realistic. Most of the professional sports in your country don't have the same level of endurance that other sports do have. I mean, a baseball player's requirement is to run around the base. Um, you know, a, a, most American footballers you know, probably don't run that far all that often. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not not been a big part of your culture, right? And, you know, apart from the impact of, of young James or the late James Fix and and, and the the aerobic promotion during the eighties, this whole conditioning shit's come in uh, as part of this. Let's help people lose fat. And again, instead of manipulating their, their diet or changing the way they think about themselves, we're going to run them up and down our, our, our twenty meter. You know, t- turf mat in their gym because we don't actually train athletes, but we need to have some turf. So it looks like we train athletes, and we're going to hit a, get them to hit hit a sledgehammer with a big rope because someone needed to sell a three thousand uh, dollar uh, truck tire to me. So we've got these inappropriate fitness trends being supplanted over athletes that are just extreme athletes, and that's the last thing they need. That they, I, I, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, and I yeah. think. Here's what I. Here's what. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, with the, the, like the tire strikes, whatever. I'm like to an athlete. What? How is that transferring to what he has to do for his career? Now, to an everyday, you know, husband or or wife or something like that, I said, I like to run him through those because, you know what? Because the way there's so many people these days in our society, especially in this generation, that feel entitled, haven't done any hard work in their life. They've never had to go out even mow a lawn or something like that. I'm like, this is just pure, everyday, good, old fashioned manual labor okay you, know, somebody, somebody, you call this a workout but when i was growing up this was called chores so yeah, you know yeah. it's a, when, <laughs> when i see someone doing that shit throwing a hammer or lifting flipping up i said listen i've got a couple of acres back time can you come and cut my lawn for me exactly <laughs> and so I, I make a point to point that i said this is nothing but just general just manual labor i said because most of you guys have never done any in your life so th- that's this all this is going to be it's not going to make you run your marathon you know a lot faster or you're going to sit there and lift a truck just because you're flipping a truck tire or something like that it's just like look okay here it is just manual labor so now you learn yeah, how to work I like hard. this. I like the sledgehammer and the tire just for fun. I don't think there's any magical <clears throat> benefit that's going to come from it. And well, I, would I, never, I, I would never package it that way. But it's, oh, there, it, but it's, there's a, some fun, people it's that a fun do. thing to throw in the mix. But I like people that package it like it is the end all. Like, hey, it's, we got to slam. A good, it's, it's like a punching bag, right? I mean, it's exactly. a good, aggressive outlet. It's, so it can be fun from time to time. Yeah, well, but, I, get, I get that. I like pulling the trigger of my nine mil, too. Yes. Yes. And yes, sir. I will agree with you on that one. Well, like I always say, I go, the most fun thing about training is when you're making progress. Exactly. And, it, and it's easy to not make any progress at all if you're just so spread out on so many things that have minimal benefit. Or as Ian said, what, well, it doesn't matter what's effective, what's optimal. That's a great yeah. way to start. I always go, say, what, is, what is optimal right. here? 
Obviously, you got to earn the right to do all those fun things. I'm like, what have you put in the work? Deck? This is the play part of doing things right here. I'm like, have you have you got your basics now? I mean, how good is your deadlift, your bench, your squat? Have you put in the work with that to even have the right to come over here and start playing around with flipping tires and smashing tires? It's like this is the stuff you have just kind of release yourself from that everyday grind of really sticking to your main program. You know, throwing something in the mix just kind of just it's more of a mental thing than anything. You know, just and like, you know, like you said, just kind of release some pressure and some stress, too. You know, just like you said, punching a bag, same thing. There's one thing for punching a bag for stress compared to actually punching somebody in the face. It's two different things, you know, because <laughs> that person getting punched in the face is going to move and try to attack back. That bag is just going to swing back and forth and you can move. So don't get it twisted just because, oh, I'm really good at hitting a heavy bag. Yeah, but how good are you hitting a heavy dude? <laughs> well, it's, it's like when those Tybo commercials came out and they, they would they would interview the fake test. I mean, they would have the the fake testimonials where a lady's like, "Yeah, you know, I've been doing Tybo for three months now, and some guy tries to attack me now. I feel bad for him. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do my Tybo back kick." You know? <laughs> meanwhile, there's a robber watching the commercial, cracking up, like, "Okay, I'll, I'll, <laughs> what's your address again, young lady?" <laughs> it's like Ronda Rousey, you're not okay? <laughs> just because you did a couple Tybo workouts. Oh but that, that's that, that's a whole another segue right there. No, but just to drive this point home a little bit further, Ian, people watch these behind-the-scenes videos with some of the fighters, right? George St. Pierre, he's sprinting. He's doing all these conditioning workouts. So they're, they're going to look at it and go, okay, well, that none of that stuff is beneficial for improving his fighting ability. And if if what you're talking about is so good, why aren't these people doing that? These are athletes who have millions of dollars. They can seek out the best people in the world. Why aren't they doing your approach? You know, the beautiful thing, and it's a very selfish thing for me to say, but I love the misguided approach of the world from the professional level down because it makes my job really easy. So, you know, without sounding it, when you come across like I'm arrogant, which obviously I might be, but, um, (laughs) you know, like anything you want it to be, I'll agree. Um, the, The reality for me is that the world of training is so misguided and the standards are so low that, you know, I celebrate that. You know, keep it up. You know, keep wrecking them. Keep destroying their athleticism because if, if, when I'm involved, when I'm training athlete, competing with them, um, this is going to be easy. I have a very high expectation of winning when I'm involved. But I, I get that when someone sees this, the, what I call pretty crappy training being done, and, that, and it, I'm, I'm a world champion and I'm doing training X, well, training X must be good. I understand. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem with that human interpretation um, because for me, as I said, from a selfish perspective, knock yourself out. Go and train the crappiest ways you can because it, you're just making my job easy. I think people have to realize that they're doing well in spite of a lot of these things no, rather, that's a, rather, right. rather than as, in a, as an effect of these things. That's now, now, let's get inside the, the mind of, of an athlete. Let's understand this. It, believe it or not, no matter how good the athlete is, the athlete still has the feeling of insecurity. And I'm just telling you some insights in, into the lead mm-hmm. athlete. Sure. So they're asking themselves, am I really doing enough? Should I be doing more? You know, is there something that I should be adding, etc.? So they're going and they're grabbing the lowest hanging fruit they can, and they're doing it often. But they, then you'll see them flip every twelve months, every two years, or flip from one thing to the next. And it's just the, the psychological feelings of you know scarcity. Listen, I, I, I'm feeling inadequate. Am I really doing enough? I'm not. I don't have the emotional confidence of what I'm doing. So I'm just going to keep grabbing new and different stuff. It's a normal human thing. It doesn't mean that what they're doing is good. It's just a reflection of their feeling of insecurity. So when I'm working with an athlete, one of the first things we sort out is we sort out that let's deal with the emotional shit. Let's get the security stuff done so that when we make train decisions, they're smart train decisions and they're for the right reasons. 
So I, I get what the, all the athletes around the world are doing, and I'm, I'm not critical. I'm definitely not going to criticize them. They're doing their best is what I you – know, even when my kids see this stuff and they say, Dad, what are they doing that stuff for? But I say, <laughs> have, some, have some compassion for them. They're just doing their best. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, we could we could talk to you forever. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Great wealth of knowledge. Good stuff today. And where can people find out more information about all the great stuff you have going on? Yeah, yeah I'm more of a coach on the market, but you can pop along to kingsports.net. That's K-I-N-G-S-P-O-R-T-S dot net. And uh, kick the tires there and see whether something that, that relates to our, our main focus is obviously training athletes and educating coaches. Uh, and our, our third focus is providing the Get Buff sort of program to help people get bigger and stronger. And, and the concepts that I've developed as a byproduct of training athletes over the last 30 plus years have served many around the world in the, in the concepts that I've been releasing and publishing uh, you know, in particular since the advent of the internet. So more than welcome. And if you do order anything, make sure you m- mention Mike Mailer's name in that. And uh, we'll see what else we can throw in. Oh, great. Sounds right. good. Also, you have some seminars coming up. I'm looking at your website. Where are you, what are some of the courses you have coming up in the next few weeks, months? Well, we've just been on the roads, actually, throughout North America for the last two months. So uh, we, we're coming to the end of that, but you know, we'll, we'll be back. Um, we've got a lot of, lot of plans to, for, for America in 2015. In particular, we, uh, our main event, we come together in Park City, Utah, which is where I am now. I've, I've actually just come off the slopes to do this interview with you, which is nice. And I'm more than happy to do, but I'm telling you what, it was beautiful out there this morning. <laughs> I <laughs> bet it is. The sky and it's Utah powder. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful day to ski. And I'm sitting out there looking at the, the, the snowman my children made yesterday. So um, yeah, we'll be back in, in, in uh, Park City in August 2015 for our 12th year in a row in this location where we bring in all our coaches from around the world to to educate and, and share and, and develop them as coaches and and also we bring athletes in and we we train athletes in the in the same environment so a real good learning opportunity so i encourage anyone who's got a, an interest in training people to check out our coach education program obviously i'm biased uh, i think it's great we've been doing it for a long time uh, we take pride in, in leading the world in in how to train and if you, if you get to that site and sign up for any of the courses there, as I said, mention Mike, uh, and we'll give you uh, extra love and attention because I, I, I like what Mike's doing. And some of the some of the things you've heard in today's program alone has indicated he's, he's he's thinking outside the the square, so to speak, and you know he's um, showing some wisdom that you know we need, we need more of in this world. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate all of that, and thanks again for coming on the show. And they get, remember, folks, check out KingSports.net. And you can see all kinds of excellent information over there. Well, we don't want to keep you off the slopes any longer, Ian. Thanks a lot for coming on. You have a great, have a great Christmas. Have a great week. Appreciate it. We'll talk in 2015. Sounds good. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, again, that's Ian King, kingsports.net. Make sure to check out his book, Get Buff. That came out a while back, and it's really good information. He's got a few other books that are really good, too. All kinds of articles on T Nation all over the web. So you can definitely find out some good information. Also, if you're an aspiring coach, because we get that question quite a bit. Go, I want to get into the industry. What courses do you recommend? You really can't go wrong with starting with Ian's courses right. and being exposed to that wealth of knowledge. And then you can avoid a lot of the amateur mistakes that most of us have made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> by starting off. I'm not saying that he's the only guy you should work with, but he's a great guy to start off with. And then you have a good parameter of what is legit information to work against when you're checking out other sources. Exactly. 
Now, speaking of checking out other sources, <laughs> I want you to check out some of the great supplements I have at my website, MikeMahler.com, and use that coupon code LLA to get 10% off anything. Check out the Aggressive Strength Bundles as well because those are already discounted, and then you can use that coupon code to get an additional 10% off of that. You know, If you buy five bottles of a product, the price goes down 25%. And then you can use that coupon code and get another 10% off. So don't just buy one bottle of something. Once you know that the product is good and it works well for you, stock up. Stock up. <laughs> get a whole bunch of things and save. Use that coupon code. Get the additional discount. And that's MikeMahler.com. And how about your website? Same thing, man. 10% off. Use coupon code LLA. All the products on my website. The, the physical copy, digital copy of my body retraining DVD, as well as a digital copy of the Wellness Code book, as well as 10% off of my Choriador Costa Rican coffee stands, man. So that and lots of stuff that's coming down the pipe. Also, I want to say that, you know, we've been, Mike and I have been tossing around different ways for you guys to support the show. And of course, we appreciate those who buy our products and use that coupon code, as well as those who leave reviews. But we've heard from you guys like, okay, you know, is it, what, how else can I support the show, man? And, you know, one thing about it, you know, before all of this, before podcasting and all this came up, when I did radio, I worked in community radio and college radio. And it was kind of like the way they would have the way that they stayed in business and, and kept bringing great programming. They had that PBS type approach where you it was listener supported. And that's one way to kind of keep our show from being bombarded with advertising from this person, this sponsor, that sponsor, like so many podcasts. It's the reason why a lot of podcasts I can't even listen to anymore because it's pretty much half the show is just all their sponsors. Right. And, and I have to question whether they even use those products that they keep reading off the card, you know, and, and describing <laughs> the product about. You can tell when someone is like genuinely a user of a product compared to someone who's reading off a freaking is what we call on radio. <laughs> having having sponsored a few shows, I can tell you that it's obvious <laughs> when someone's using a product and when someone isn't. It's like, exactly. come on, man. You didn't even open up the bottle. Again, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, I don't want us to ever. Well, it'll never happen. You yeah, know, I don't, I don't, do I don't want us to ever be in that position where we got to start looking at, you know, trying to bring in all these different sponsors just so we can keep the everyday operations of the show going. And my thing is, we've always said that, you know, we do this show for you guys and it's your show as well. So, hey, since it's your show, what, what better way than make it your show than supporting it? So, you know, so one of the things I've looked into um, a friend of mine who will be on the show in about another month after you hear this one. Um, Kim Blanchard, one of the things that he's using with his podcast is called Patreon, which is pretty much where you guys get to go in and support the show on a monthly basis, just like you would do PBS public broadcast or something like that. And I've set that up. And by the time you hear this, it will be set up. And my thing is, at this point, you know, I don't have the, the URL created as of the time that we're recording this right now. But you know, all you have to do is just go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com and just type in LLA podcast and that'll pull up our page and you can support us there, you know, with with the monthly contribution, whether it's five dollars a month, ten dollars a month. You know, hey, all those things help with the everyday operations of the show and to help us keep bringing quality guests such as Ian King and, and many guests like that on the show, because, again, Putting this thing together, it's not free. There's a lot of costs to come with this. You know, it's not like yeah. we just come on, turn our computers. And even if we just turn our computers, that's still not free. We're still having to have, you know, high speed internet so we don't get dropped off. Or I mean, we go back. Well, I mean, start- here's here's the thing people need to consider. They're going, well, how much does it cost to do all that stuff? So you know what? Forget about that stuff. You have to look at how how valuable is it's our the time? information how va- and, and information. Well, also, how valuable is your time? Since yeah. how valuable is my time? How my time is very valuable. 
And to, to, to the time it takes to set up the show is pretty labor intensive. It takes time to get guests. It, case, it takes time to record the show, market edit, the show, do all the that edit, stuff. the production, yeah. and yeah, and all that. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, so, it's, so it's a big it's, operation. So, yeah. so if it's one of those things where if it's not, if it, if it gets to a point where it's not useful for us, we're not going to do it anymore because our time is valuable. I'm not saying we're at that place. We're not, but I'm just saying that. We need this show to keep growing so that it's useful to our time because my time becomes more and more valuable as my business grows. Exact same here. Where it gets to a point where if I don't want to do something, I don't have to do it. Like I don't have to do this show to be successful anymore. My business is good. We could quit this show today and it's not going to hurt my business one bit. Exactly. So we do this show because we love doing it. We're putting out great information. You guys are telling us how much you like it and that's that's very gratifying. But do your part to support the show by leaving us reviews, sharing the episodes. You know, we've had people say, oh, we, we'd lo- I'd love it if you guys went back to doing two episodes per week. It's like, OK, well, what are you doing to support that? Because um, now you, that requires twice as much of our time. Have you ever bought anything <laughs> from either one of us? And I don't know what the answer is because I don't look up every person who sends an email and go, oh, has this person ever bought something from us? But my attitude, I'm, I'm asking that question. If you want us to do more episodes per week, then accept the fact that our time is valuable. And we're not going to take time away from doing other stuff we could be doing to do that if it's not worth our while. So anyway, just do your do your part to help support the show is all I'm saying. Exactly. So, yeah, that's what we said. We, we created these other avenues for you guys to find, you know, you want to support the show. And that's what we're doing with this. So and trust me, those of you who are really supporting the show, who are going out there and getting the word out and buying products and leaving reviews. Man, we appreciate the hell out of you. And, and for those of you feeling a little uncomfortable right now, like, I want them to appreciate me. Well, you know what you need to do. <laughs> so, so on that note, folks, hey, this is a great 2015. This is pretty much how we're starting things off. Got even more powerful guests coming on the show. And, yeah. hey, we're going to get this year started off right, folks. So keep, keep it tuned just, in uh, and keep absolutely. the word out there, man. So and just, as, just as having your head up your ass doesn't help make a better cup of coffee, it doesn't help improve the show either. <laughs> so, so, but it, so will be, sure. it will be great entertainment for me if you took a picture of that. I'm like, I would be very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> and, and, and you can't leave a review for us if your head is up your own ass. You can't buy a product. So definitely make that a goal for 2015 <laughs> to permanently remove your head from your own ass or someone else's ass. <laughs> you know? There you go. That's your head coming out of your ass. <laughs> All right, folks. Next week. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye.